Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sheila Shoiga, and welcome to Ready to Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. In this episode, I speak to boxer Mary Kate Slattery. I remember even one day, this is probably, I'd say maybe a year on from the diagnosis, um, it, coming down the stairs from school and like in this you know the parents would all be standing at the bottom of the stairs and I kind of walked down and I was like mum like waving at her and she was looking over me she didn't recognize me you know I was so gaunt and oh so God. like right. just really just lost like it, I wasn't there so it, it, like I remember that my mum kind of looking over me and not recognizing me and the other parents you know just horrible horrible stuff sorry I'm getting a bit sad thinking about it um but sure, listen, the, the way I think about it now is it's important to tell the story because I got the help that I needed. Yeah. And so many people don't. Mm. So many people live with it, you know, or can recover like 75% and still have that controlling part of their their mind, you know. And like, I just feel so passionately about people can recover fully and take their lives back and just become themselves again. Originally from Dublin, Mary Kate spent parts of her childhood in Lahinch in County Clare. She's the eldest of three girls, a law graduate from Trinity College Dublin, and when she was only nine, she developed anorexia. She spent time in and out of Crumlin Children's Hospital, but eventually had to go to London to receive treatment at Great Ormond Street Hospital for children. In this conversation, we speak about her battle with anorexia, perfectionism, therapy, meditation, femininity, letting go, and her love of boxing. It's an important yet challenging conversation in parts, so please check the show notes before you listen. And I started by asking her about developing anorexia. Yeah, at age nine, I started to develop anorexia. I was, I was diagnosed in November 2006. I was 10 years old. 
Um, but it really started to develop around May 2006. Um, my aunt passed away. Mm. And at the time, I think you could probably, you could pinpoint that, that, that as one of the main triggers. Um, I didn't know how to process grief. I didn't know how to, you know, I didn't know how to mourn, I guess. And and you were very close to her? Oh, very close to her, yeah. She had yeah. no kids. She was like a second mother. She was okay. with us all the time. She lived down the road. She was one of the, I'd say, my first idol. Okay, um, yeah, just right. an incredible woman. Worked in the Department of Foreign Affairs. Was, you know, she was like, up, I think it was a few months before she was, maybe six months before she died. She was, um, she became the ambassador to France. An incredible mind and one of the most just genuinely kind people and just a ray of light really for all of us and mm. it was a real shock when she passed and I think not being able to process the grief not being able to mourn and for the first time recognizing this part of myself that wanted to care for others in a way that completely neglected myself and that's something I've carried with me through life like I um so you what you were worried about your own my parents family. yeah I remember right. my dad telling me and for the first time seeing him cry and that was like you know, um, a real shock. I think the first time you realize that your parents are in some way not superheroes that you yeah, make them out yeah, to yeah. be can be really scary and can be kind of, oh my God, who's going to look after us now? Who's, you know, and not that it was over the top. It was really just him expressing like yeah. sadness as his sister had passed. And I think that that was a real shock and not being able to fully heal that and I, I think became a real a real problem and as a result you know as many people who have suffered with eating disorders and addictions like they're very similar you know is you just want to control something mm. and for me not being able to control the grief not being able to control the massive emotion I was feeling resulted in me very quickly just finding a little bit of a buzz in dieting and in reading magazines and being taken in by the like in kind of like insidious beauty standard that was just thrown at us as you know especially in the 90s the early 2000s I think it was totally different to the way it is now we have a new problem you know that there's no doubt we have a brew, new kind of body dysmorphia brewing but I think back then it was that cigarettes and diet coke breakfast you know yeah, kind nothing of tastes as good as skinny feels all this of that is it. I found myself being so Bought, like I, I bought into that so deeply yeah. as a 10 year old. Exactly, you just said it there. Nine ten. Yeah, which is you, crazy. You don't really question. You're going to your mind is going to absorb your surroundings and think, yeah. oh, well, this is normal. Yeah. You exactly. say it like that. I mean, obviously there's a big age gap between us, but I so I, I remember it as a different age. Yeah. But I'm just imagining if I was younger, hearing all of that constantly. Yeah. It was it was and it was and nobody questioned it. That's it. It was normal. You, you were, you were, um, it was aspirational to be that kind of waif-like figure as a woman. Yeah, exactly. You think of it now, it's actually bonkers. It is insane. And you think about like the, what Now magazine and the likes of even OK and the ones that were deemed to be a little bit more respectable, mm. you know, what they were right about women, what they look like without any makeup on, women, what they look, yeah. you know, it was shame, shame, shame for yes. looking anything less than perfect. And mm. so I think very early I tuned myself into that yeah. and said, OK, in order to be able to, you know, impress in life, in order to be able to, like, I always had that kind of perfectionist streak. I, I tuned myself into that and I went, I'm going to look like that. I am going to be 
Kate Moss I am going to look and like you're a child you know yeah, when I yeah, yeah, now yeah. I'm so sensitive when I meet a nine or ten or eleven year old and I go Jesus you're all you're doing is having the crack all you're doing is talking about play dates you might not be invited to something or like these are the things that I should have been worried about but yeah. instead I memorized the back the packets of everything I knew the calories and absolutely everything you could quiz me on any type of food I just go into supermarkets and I remember what the fat content was, what the carbohydrate content was, the sugars and the the how many calories is in something. And it was just that became an obsession. And very quickly, I think over that summer before I turned 10, like over that summer, my parents kind of were com- becoming a little bit more aware of it. Yeah. We actually got a dog once Kate passed. We, we got a dog, Sevi, and I remember running the poor puppy like the legs off it like we were like doing laps of it in the house in Lynch just the poor dog was like no more <laughs> and I was like come on one more one more you know it was madness like yeah. it's that relentless part of your brain then that becomes addicted to starving it becomes addicted to dieting controlling what you eat feeling a sense of pride in that that I I couldn't equate with any other part of my life you know so quickly yeah. it became my identity actually mm. being the healthy one the skinny one the one who's very sporty the one who you know f- at first it was kind of complimented by neighbors by family members it was like oh Mary Kate's very good she doesn't take anything out of the she doesn't take any treats anymore isn't that great like fair play to her and then okay. it kind of slid down into a, a problem mm. by the time I went back to school and was it noticed because at that age I, I suppose maybe perhaps naively I would have think that Asher, look at nine, ten, you're too young to be even thinking, you know, yeah. that somebody might have an eating disorder. Sure, that wouldn't happen until maybe teenage years if it's going to present itself. Do you know, that's probably yeah. a very ignorant thing for me to admit. But I don't think so at all. Is it not? Not at all. I would say it was it, it was almost like people were actually in disbelief. Right. You know, that yeah. that I could be so um, I think like my parents were very like we were a very close family. We are mm. a very close family. Yeah, so yeah. it was in, in ways it was easy for them to see because they controlled mealtimes you know they made the breakfast they made the lunch they made the dinner they could see exactly what I was going no I don't want that and I want chickpeas and like that's you know 2006 people didn't even know what chickpeas were it was like what are you talking about you know like I was like I want chickpeas and avocado and I want you know and at first that was fine that was at the more innocent stages and then it became all I'm eating is wafer thin ham all I'm eating is like random things like all I'm drinking is Diet Coke I'm no longer drinking water all I'm eating is six strawberries a day like it got to that in the in the, the kind of the darker wow, times okay. but it was quickly noticed and then I think my parents you know having spoken to them over the years I think like the way they would process it you know at that time you know I hadn't even got the, the diagnosis yet it was like we'll get Mary Kate back into school maybe the routine will help her to be back with her friends you know back from the hinge we're back in Dublin now and you know we can resume normal life um, and that's really important um, to try and keep things as normal as possible when somebody's going through this you know and I think they did the right thing by sending me back to school but it was when the teachers were kind of following me into the bathrooms and saw me dumping my lunches and you know I was trading things with people in class like I think I was too far along now at this stage to actually feel like I could I could solve it myself yeah um and so it was actually it was a an like a an adult psychiatrist in the matter hospital had um after hours had met me and because there was nobody there body wise my mum was reaching out and they they wouldn't look at anyone under 17 um you know has that changed it has changed yeah thankfully okay. Okay. and and um I know that you know John of Gods has a, a 
a unit and St. Pat's is a unit now, but at that time it was nothing. Like, you know, for, for somebody who was that age, you it wouldn't be right to have sent me into John of God's verse 18 and over or St. Pat's or, you yeah. know, Dundrum or wherever. Am I right in thinking you're in your mid-20s now? Mm. Yeah, so I'm 25. Yeah, so we're going back yeah. 15 years. Yeah, exactly. And it th- thankfully things have changed now. I know they still have a way to go, but it the landscape is very different now to how it was for you, right? Yeah. So how did you end up in the matter? Um, through a, one of my dad's friends, friends, like okay. it was that kind of desperation. It was like anyone who can help us. So like, they, they knew, they you knew. know, our girl is not, she's not doing good. Yeah. yeah. They had an idea that it was anorexia. It was okay. a GP that we went to who just said, look, I deal with coughs and colds, but my sneaking suspicion is this is what it could be. Okay. And so that's when we were going to, well, they were going, like, I, I always tell the story and I feel like I was actually really lucky in a way, like, because I didn't experience it from my parents' lens. Like, I can't imagine now that I'm getting older and I'm becoming more aware of, you know, like maybe I want to be a mum someday. And Mm. I think about how painful it must have been for them Mm. to just watch your child disappear. You know, for me, I was on a tunnel vision and I was kind of like almost getting, I was energized by the journey in a way. Like, obviously it was, it was completely pulling me apart and destroying me. But there was an energy that came from it that was, I have a, I have a mission. And there was tunnel, a buzz. There was a buzz. So yeah. I was tunnel vision protected by all of the chaos it was causing my family. The girls, you know, when we would go to doctor appointments, they'd just be lumped in on neighbours and aunts and uncles. And I was oblivious to all of that. So yeah. when I think about now, about the journey now, I have a, like a huge respect and like a profound gratitude to my parents for mm. just sticking with me. Because there were so many times where I was just hell to be around. Like my mum called me the changeling, you know, in in like Irish mythology or in Celtic mythology, you know, yeah. the, the baby that goes into the forest and is taken by the fairies. You know, that's what it was like, you know, just right. they ha- they lost me. You know, I remember even one day, this is probably, I'd say maybe a year on from the diagnosis, um, it, coming down the stairs from school and like in this you know the parents would all be standing at the bottom of the stairs and I kind of walked down and I was like mum like waving at her and she was looking over me she didn't recognize me you know m- I was so gaunt and oh so God. like right. just really just lost like it, I wasn't there so it, it, like I remember that my mum kind of looking over me and not recognizing me and the other parents you know just horrible horrible stuff sorry I'm getting a bit sad thinking about it um but sure, listen, the, the way I think about it now is it's important to tell the story because I got the help that I needed. Yeah. And so many people don't. Mm. So many people live with it, you know, or can recover like 75% and still have that controlling part of their their mind, you know. And like, I just feel so passionately about people can recover fully and take their lives back and just become themselves again, you know. Um, it's not easy, Jesus Christ, it's hell. Like it is hell. The, the road to recovery is so hard and there'll always be that part of you, like, you know, the people who are susceptible to eating disorders and equally addiction are often people who have put Im- immense pressure on themselves um, and are, you know, hold themselves to a very high standard. There's a certain type of personality that kind of has the prerequisite to, to getting, you know, an eating disorder or, a, you know, 
and that part of your brain doesn't change like I have it now with boxing I have it now with my academics that part of me that's be the best and if you like for example the leaving search if I got less than 600 points I failed it you know right. all of this it, it manifests in other ways yeah. and it's about becoming aware of that and actually becoming friends with that which I can go into to, to later and that's how I found in my boxing journey is you know actually becoming friends with that part of your brain that wants to be the best yeah. but it's all about where you direct that energy and that focus yes. you know um, so that's that. that's that's why I share it I think yeah I mean we've, we've just been talking for a very short time but um, it's it's so moving listening to you speak and as you said you know I'm getting a bit sad it, it, it is very sad but also it's it's really powerful that you're here as somebody who has completely reshaped their life and is absolutely thriving and that's why I was excited to talk to you today because I think you're think you're a phenomenal person and um at 25 what you've already achieved I'm just going I'll be one of these people that in 10 years time will say I spoke to Mary Kay Slattery she sat in front of me when no I I mean it because I think you know the future is uh very exciting for you and I I I mean that wholeheartedly um and when you said that I suppose maybe and I don't think you necessarily have to be a parent to appreciate as you said you don't have kids yet um but you know you can try and put yourself in your in your parents' shoes and imagine what that must feel like when your when your daughter comes out and you don't recognise her. Like I felt that so deeply when you said that, and I, that's why I think it's important to have these conversations because no doubt there'll be people listening to this and that perhaps might be concerned about someone in their life, and maybe this is what they need to hear to tune in and ask questions and maybe see what's going on. And maybe it's not an eating disorder, maybe something else, but I suppose it's important to ask why or why is the person behaving this way or mm. what's going on to to try and help? Because I suppose what is life about? Like we're, yeah. we're here, we're not just here for ourselves, we're here to ideally enrich someone else's life or other people's lives and help. And I suppose it sounds like, you know, you wouldn't be here today without your parents' Mm. love and care for you to try and get you the help that you needed. Definitely. And I think also maybe if somebody's listening to this and they don't recognize, you know, if they're not able to relate for another person, but for themselves, you know, because a lot of people, when I speak to schools now and a lot of people, when I speak about that enormous pressure, that weight that people carry around to be the best and to constantly improve and to, you know, to focus on something and it takes you down an unhealthy path, you know, to to have this enormous pressure, whether it's the beauty standard, whether it's your schoolwork, your your job, you know, your family, your relationship that you're trying so hard to make work and all all of these things. I think that, you know, just just being able to be okay with imperfections and be okay with, you know, not this unrealistic standard that's just marketed to us in every facet of life yeah you know we're told that if we have x we'll be better if we have this we'll be, be better in six weeks times if you just subscribe to this you know it's, there's all of these heal alls and secrets and fixing like life is about getting comfortable with the shit yes absolutely. You know? and yeah. getting getting comfortable and the only certainty is that there will be uncertainty that's the only thing you can count on is that we haven't a clue what we're doing here so like let's just you know try and try and get comfortable with ourselves on the journey yeah you know like there's no place that we're ever going to be fully satisfied like that's not what life's about 
you know there's always going to be something there for us to be working on and just let it go and just you know we're I I, I always say like we're all just I, I feel like this sometimes, you know, you said you love the sea, like being mm. from Connemara. And I, I feel like sometimes when I look at the stars, I'm, I'm just reminded, and this is my mantra through life, is that we're all just grains of shite. <laughs> and like that might sound really gross and really like horrible, but that, that gives me so much calm and so yeah. much like just support actually yeah, in what am I moments. worrying about exactly I'm worried about what does this person think of me and what does that person and what does that say about me if I do this no hang on look at the stars look how small we are yeah. we're here for a flash of a second you mm. know in the grand scheme of what life's about so like honestly if you're not laughing and you're not having the crack what's the, what's the <laughs> point <laughs> what's you know point? what is the point so that's I think is we're all just grains of shite is the thing that like whenever <laughs> I feel like I'm caring too I much about inspirational something inspirational quotes brought to you by Mary <laughs> yeah, we are all just grains of shite <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can buy my T-shirt. <laughs> so um, when you were talking about, you know, nine turning 10 and you're the eldest of three girls, what would, what's the age gap between you and your sisters? Lucy is a year younger than me and Azalda is five years younger. Okay. So so yeah. like you're obviously your parents, not just caring for you, they're mm. caring for your two younger sisters as well and mindful of the impact your experience was having on them and clearly you know you have been too now that you're out the other side and you can kind yeah. of reflect on it and, and look back when you ended up in the matter uh when were you told the words like that yeah were you told or were your parents told we we were told together um myself my mum and my dad and this this um consultant obviously just said you know you have anorexia and for me I was like over my head I don't know what that is like I, I had no idea what those words represented I didn't know what it was yeah my parents obviously knew um but not a whole lot again like it's a different really time like now we speak about it and it has it's it it is destigmatized in a way but it has its own connotations I think anorexia and I had it explained to me at that age you know as somebody in a voice in my head telling me not to eat and that I was going to have to beat this voice. I didn't understand anything beyond that, you know. Um, and that's trying, that's kind of huge to take on board at 10. It is. And I think it's important to say that too, because a lot of people and the kind of the connotations around anorexia and some of the stigma is that it is something you bring on yourself or something that, oh, she's gone anorexic now or she's, you know, she's like, I know that in when I was being treated, there was a huge amount of like pro-ana websites and stuff like that. Thankfully, I was too young to know any of that. Um, I, you know, didn't have access to any of that stuff. But um, the argument against somebody who might say, oh, anorexia has brought on when somebody wants to be anorexic, anorexic is I didn't know what it was. I had it explained to me as a little voice in my head that I'm going to have to beat. I'm going to have to recognize and beat. And ultimately, it is that. Um, but yeah, coming back to my sisters and, and, and the guilt, I'd be lying if I said I didn't carry some guilt f from that, you know, um, less so now. I think over the last like two years, I've been doing therapy uh, called compassion focused therapy, which is basically about what we're talking about, about, you know, when we're guessing, second guessing everything and we're, we're really just critical of ourselves. It's about kind of externalizing the critic and personifying the critic so that you recognize it as a part of you that doesn't serve you and we can go into that there's, no, there's yeah, so much dude, to talk so about how like, do you do that um so to be honest it it, it comes off the like I, I did years of 
CBT, like cognitive behavioral therapy yes. in order to to get to to really what I'm saying, you know, battle that voice and and beat that voice and that part of your brain that is your anorexia. It's so hard to explain to somebody who hasn't been through it is that it it is such a if you're married to that part of your brain because it brings you so much comfort and safety like my anorexia kept me safe it gave me a sense of control it gave me a sense of power it gave me a purpose it gave me the energy like I loved my anorexia for so long and I think that people a lot of people who are in recovery will admit that that's the hardest part of recovery is letting go of that part of you that you have your mind has twisted you into believing it has helped you you know, or it is your friend. Mm. Um, and I'm obviously don't have experience of an addiction, but that often is kind of, there's a correlation there yes, between, yeah. you know, that's a safety and that's something that keeps you, it gives you that sense of accomplishment that you need, you know, the the dopamine hit or whatever it might yeah, be, yeah, yeah. you know. So I um, I found, I found that was the hardest part but the CBT was the part that goes, all right, let's let's really analyze the thoughts. Let's look at the negative automatic th- thoughts that come up around mealtimes. Let's talk about what is it that's being, being presented to you? Where is the fear coming from? And understanding that your feelings and your thoughts and your actions are all linked. And when you start having a thought, it'll have a knock-on effect to the feeling. When you have a feeling, it'll have a knock-on effect to your action. So how it's all linked and it's about catching those thoughts. And I remember like the exercise as a kid was, like imagining I was on like an island and it was all very visual because I, I that's just the way I learned but mm. pretending I was catching gnats like little flies the negative automatic thoughts so I'd like catch them in a net and I'd pull them out and I with my incredible psychiatrist Fiona who I was with when I was in, in Crumlin for the three stints that I had in Crumlin three long stints she did so much but she, there were the resources weren't there and that's why I went to London but she um she would have me open up the pretend I was opening it up and just say, what is the automatic thought? And it would be, if I eat this, I won't fit into my clothes. If I eat this, I will be huge. If I eat this, I won't know what to do. I will like, you know, just really extreme things, believing that like even having a shower, I was afraid that the salt would get into my body and would make me gain weight. Like, I think it just, just total irrational fears, but weighing it up and going, here's why that's not true. Yeah. And then 99% of the time you see that those thoughts are, they're invalid. They're not real. They're irrational. You can let them go. Um, And it took years of working at that to be able to catch the, the fears and catch the, the, the blocks that were making me sick, you know? Yes. Um, And this is why CBT is so powerful um, and it works for so many people. And for you, you have, you know, you were you were in a situation where treatment was was necessary for your own uh, healing and, and you're just it's important to say and I know you've already probably said it but like you have you have recovered yeah you fully believe that your eating disorders in the past yes you definitely. know um but I think we can all benefit from whatever the therapy is whether it is you know going to um a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist or CBT or whatever therapy. I think we can all benefit from learning more about ourselves yeah. and what triggers us or what. And I suppose now you are a well-oiled machine and that's why there's so much more to talk to you about <laughs> because you are probably one of the most aware humans 
the planet. There are days where that's not true at all. I don't know. But I was like, I'm going to meet Mary Kate. Like she's probably, you know, fully present at every moment of every day and and knows what her why is at all times. You know, I just definitely. But but, you know, you you did you did touch on it there and you said you did three stints in Crumlin and then Mm -hmm. you had to go to London. So like that day that you were told with your folks, you had anorexia. It wasn't a case of you've anorexia, run a sort and you'll be grand. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it was a number of years before yeah. you were in a position where uh, you were in, you know, the beginning of your recovery. Yeah, um, and, and, and unfortunately got a lot worse before before that happened. It did. Um, going to the UK was a big step for your family, I would imagine. Why was that necessary? It was, yeah, it was a huge step and it was necessary because we had three failed attempts in Crumlin and the first time I went into Crumlin, so after I got the diagnosis, it was kind of something that we decided there'd be goals and there'd be steps to try and treat it at home and it just got too bad that um, after a number of threats, we're going to take you into Crumlin tonight if you don't do this, if you were going to do that, it became so horrible for the, the whole home environment became so, it just became so brittle and and just we were all worn out from it you know even my sisters you know um I I actually think they're probably more aware than I am because they watched the whole thing happen and they just had a just they have such a maturity about them from it um I think we all do like we we did some important work together but well obviously you know what it's funny you say the word and you use the word mature because anytime I've heard you speak um, even though you certainly look your age or, you know, you're, you're very young and vibrant, but there's a maturity about you and a wisdom about you that, you know, if if I didn't see you when I heard you, I said, that's a woman in her 40s. Jesus, thank you. No, because <laughs> there is, because you, you've done far more work on yourself than the majority of us do in a lifetime. Because unfortunately what you went through and because I suppose you have now a huge interest in learning more about yourself you've done so many cool things but with with that comes huge insight and wisdom so um it's interesting that you say that about that is that's that there's been something that's been shared by your whole family thank you yeah that's that's very nice to hear um i think i think we have and we're able to laugh about it now which is a real sign of healing i think when you're able to come out the other side yeah. and, yeah. the point of laughter about something pretty grim is is i would imagine that takes a lot of of growth and yeah. work yeah. yeah yeah it really does but i think you know the reason we went to to london is because ultimately they didn't have the resources in crumlin and like they really tried their best and like god bless them i was put on a burns ward i was put on a cardiac ward um like an orthopedic ward do you know it, they just they did not have the, mental health wasn't a thing i was just the skinny kid in the the room next to the nurse's station that you can't close her when like there was a big glass window and i was monitored 24 7 do you know you can't close that window you have to watch her and make sure that she's not running make sure that she's not doing this i had a heart monitor on to make sure that i wasn't exercising you know they really tried their best but when i met fiona once a week in at, at the back of the car park in a porter cabin okay. like that's what we're dealing with right. you know there just wasn't the resource there wasn't and she was always stretched and always stressed and such an incredible woman and has done such incredible things and um, helped change the landscape for mental health services and particularly eating disorders. She's just a legend. Like I, I couldn't speak any hi- more highly of her. And she was intrinsic in trying to get me help in 
the UK, which was ultimately at that point, I wasn't, I wasn't recovering. Crumlin would get me to a healthy-ish BMI where my organs were no longer in threat mode. It was like okay. the ninth percentile. And I'd fixate on that number from the first day of admission. And I go, grand, I'll get to that. I'll play the game. I'll make them not make it look like I'm good. And then the second I'd leave, of course, anorexia would go crazy again. And I'd just be back on my downward spiral. Because um, once you were back in your home environment, it's easier to hide things. It's easier to do everything. And, you know, my parents did such an incredible job, but it's just at that point, it's there's no coming back from it. You know, the the fight was too massive okay. for all of us. Um, How bad did it get? It, it got really bad. Like I, I remember it's funny, like even in my mind, like remembering those things in kind of like a monochrome color, like everything was just gray and bleak and I just didn't want to be there and I wanted it all to end. I remember one day a nurse coming into the, from the nurse's station, she was like the head nurse on the, the ward kind of coming in and trying to scare me. I think at that point there were, there was frustration too because there wasn't awareness around anorexia. I was, you know, some some nurses would be like, oh, come on, like you're wasting the bed kind of thing. Like that was the, the there was a, a an assumption that I could actually make myself better if I wanted to. And God. the nurse came in and this is the, the only time I ever saw Fiona, my psychiatrist, ever go up or down, you know, like in, in an emotional way. Okay. The nurse basically said to me, look, your heart rate dropped so low last night. We didn't know whether you'd make it through kind of thing. Whoa. And like I was 10, you know, and yeah, just exactly. trying to hear that. You're just, But for me, I was my in my state. It was scary, but I was like, cool. Really? Yeah. Like I was in that place where I was just like score. Like anytime anyone like would be moved or in any way scared or threatened by how thin I was, that was a win. Like I'm trying to understand that now. I'm like, that makes no sense, do you know? But it was in in that place. It was like, you know, as I as it went on, I remember being in La Hinch and my my friends in school crying in the national school when they hugged me. And I, I went to, away for a few months and I came back and it was really bad and they were crying and I was just like, this is so fulfilling. Like it was the weirdest, most twisted way of thinking. I wasn't myself at all. You know, I was angry, I was irritated, I was, you know, quite aggressive and I'm a very peaceful person and quite like even even in confrontation, I'd always be quite diplomatic and like, you know, it was just like I just wanted I was just me and my anorexia and our goal and nothing else mattered. Um, You were 25. If you could go back and sit beside your 10 year old self. What would you do? I just give her a hug because it's just so tiring. The whole thing is just so exhausting. Yeah. Um, just like everything will be okay, do you know? Because there, it's it's a very it's a really lonely disease. Mm. Like, and that's the one thing that I went to London recently, and I interviewed my psychiatrist from Great Ormond Street, where I ended up going for a year, and then I was a year outpatient. But I went to to interview Professor John Golden for um, another thing that I'm doing. And just talking to him, like I was struck, even the smell and the color of the paint of the walls and just the way he was speaking, I just was brought back to such a lonely place because that's the one thing about it is you and your mission and you're married to that part of your brain that is killing you, literally killing you. Yeah. But you can't let it go, you know? And that that's the main feeling I'm left with when I, you know, when I see somebody, I'm just so, somebody who's going through it, I just feel such sadness for the loneliness, you know? There's a whole host of problems and and how like 
you know, but that that overwhelming loneliness and isolation and feeling nobody understands me and an actual like when I first was admitted into London, um, into the Mildred Creek unit, I remember not speaking, going on complete silent strike, you know, and like you have to respect the determination of that child. Like yeah. there was nobody who was getting through to me, you know, and they it was after kind of a clinical assessment because you know, obviously I'm, it was the NHS who were taking me on, the HSE funded it, it was just incredible, but it was, a lot of it was my parents advocating for me and Fiona advocating and just kind of going, this is so serious, we need to take it on. And I met a a host of doctors that morning before I was, before I was um, admitted. And, you know, they, they said, you want the good news or the bad news? And the good news is she's absolutely eligible. The bad news is one of the most severe cases we've seen you know, it was that that level of just, OK, no problem, because my parents went with the intention. We're not leaving until she's she's in that bed and yeah. we can relax. She's getting help. She's getting help, you mm. know, um, because before I left, before I before we went to London, the doctors had said, like, even the flight was would be so intense on my body, you know, and I actually. That's how fragile you that's were. That's how fragile. Like, I was so sick, you know, and just the most unhappy broken child you know um it's so sad now when I think about it but I'm also wouldn't change any of it because it has given me like a strength and a confidence that Mm. when the going gets tough now in life I go it'll be okay you know yeah yeah um but it is it's it's incredibly sad um and now you know oh yeah so the loneliness I was talking about and how anyone who was kind to me and they were so incredibly kind in London like while it was a very strict regime it was very much if you don't cooperate if you don't do exactly as the program says you won't see your family you won't do this like it was very strict oh wow very strict okay and and what so you it was kind so, of so you, they would they would say that yeah you won't and, see your family yeah and that that was kind of the the thing with anorexia is like you give it an inch it takes a mile it's it's very deceptive and it's one of those things you cannot budge with oh, anorexia right, okay. like so it was it was the definition of tough love, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. It was that. And and obviously I say this, you know, with the caveat, every experience of anorexia is very, it's very personal, very yeah, okay. individual. So I'm only an expert in my experience and not in everyone else's. And it is, it's, it's uh, you know, I'm glad you said that because I have recorded another conversation um, about disordered eating before and I, and I, and I discovered through the, the recording of it and the release of it that it's a very complicated topic to cover and one that I w- would be a little nervous of because there's so many different perspectives and I think sometimes naively I as somebody who I'm certainly familiar with disordered eating actually the more I r- discover and talk to people the more I realise that you know while I thought everything was you know air quotes normal in my own attitude to food I, I have my own mm. I have my own stuff and I think a lot of us do yeah. It's I suppose it's like it's like a line and where are you on the line? Are you at the extreme level or the, the lower end or whatever? Um, but I suppose the reason I'm saying that is I realised afterwards, wow, you could put your foot in it without realising and say thing. something that could potentially cause a lot of harm to the person listening. So I suppose you're extremely conscious of that because you've gone through it yourself. Yeah, definitely. And and I know from, you know, it, it, you're so right. It, it is something that, that you can say the wrong thing and it you know, even for me, like in my own experience of it, 
saying the wrong thing was detrimental. Do you know, it okay. was like people were afraid to say anything and open their mouths, like because they might say the wrong thing and it would trigger me into thinking all sorts of, you know, even the, the connotations I had with, you know, like my, my relationship with the word you look healthy was just you may as well have called me an elephant, you know, because if saying really even I, I remember coming home for a weekend or maybe it was an afternoon, like it was kind of that kind of way I'd, I'd come home from hospital and my neighbors like me going up to collect the girls for dinner um, and just, you know, her at the door saying, oh, my case, great to see you back. You know, the colors coming back in your cheeks. You look amazing. You look so healthy. And I just screamed and ran home and I was just like, oh, my God. I'm I've completely lost control. I'm spiraling. I'm huge again. I look like, you know, because I was so attached to being thin and being gaunt. And okay. like that was, you know, th that was my um, I was just attached to that. Yeah. Um, so you had such a warped association with the word healthy. Yeah, it really did. And so that's why it's so important yes. when talking about this. I am only an expert in my experience. Yeah. And I know as well from like over the years meeting families and meeting parents and talking to them you know individually they're everybody's looking for an answer and everybody's looking for you know you're so desperate in that state like there is nothing worse than living with somebody who has that there is like it's it's so tricky it's so it's so hard um to understand and where they're at and all i can say is there is no there's no quick fix like there there's no set of rules that will help somebody with anorexia everybody will say that you know yeah. all of the professionals who deal with it it's totally individual and it's about you know understanding what's underneath it all because ultimately the the dieting and the control and the the lack of the the the, the starving yourself that's a symptom like the mm. food is such a small part of anorexia actually like it's the biggest, but it's it's also like there's so many other parts, not the small parts, but the, the there's a part of it is, yeah, I get is eating and there's so much others that goes with it. And why did it manifest and what part of your brain is telling you to do what? And it's so complex. And as you said, it's it's mental illness. I mean, people, yeah. I suppose, sometimes think it's a physical illness, but it's not. It's a mental illness that manifests physically. Yeah. Yeah. And it is when you look at how it impacts people and the devastating impact of it. It is frightening and it does sound like despite in the 15 years uh, we've come on a lot, it does sound like we need to do a lot more huge, work here. Huge, yeah. amount. And I think even after the lockdown, um, yeah. I know that there are so many more that seem to be affected just from my kind of gauge of the whole thing and yeah. my friends, you know, and everybody feeling like when we were all like, what is going on? and the future's uncertain and nothing seems rooted in anything. We're all just, you know, we next week could be taken away from us with another lockdown and all of this kind of fear. A lot of us turned to our food and yeah. the trips to the supermarket and, you know, what we were eating and dieting and that sort of like. And a or lot the of other us extreme, gained. which was, yeah, the comfort eating. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And now which I certainly did. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I definitely found comfort in food during the pandemic. Of and course. our look at we're at home. Sure, I'm not going on here anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Can I have that extra bit of cake and that's fine and you know that's Absolutely. grand if that makes you feel good but then it's it's why are you doing it or how is it really making you feel yeah. and uh, you're right I suppose disordered eating practices probably did were on the rise certainly sounds like they were yeah yeah definitely um 
So at 12 years of age, you spent how long in Greater Ormond Street? Uh, I spent 10 months as an inpatient and then 12 months as an outpatient, with, which meant, you know, flying. It was it was quite a staggered discharge. Um, and they came back with me, my two, we had key workers. So like just the in comparison, when I compare poor Crumlin trying its best, having some really well-intentioned doctors and nurses and dietitians and who just didn't know how to deal with it. And Fiona, who obviously was top of the game in the country and still is, you know, um, her trying to fight just this uphill battle that just says we, we, we can't get the time, we can't have the resource. And I compare that to the first day sitting in front of the nurses and doctors in Great Ormond Street who, you know, four of them met me before they made the decision to take me on. And then it was, I, I, you know, it's a pediatric hospital. You're treated as you have a pediatrician and then you have your psychiatrist who's assigned to you. You have psychologists, you have the mental health nurses, you have key workers. Like it was a whole team, a whole team to just get me back on my feet and how it's a specialized unit. You know, they only had seven beds that's it you know and yeah. for me to have been able to get a a, a bed there was enormous like huge yeah um with the and others unfortunately it was a reflection of of the severity of your illness at yeah. the time yeah definitely when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. When did it start to click with you that only I can get myself better? Um, I think it was to be, it, it was, there was never like, I, I try to identify like a, a light bulb moment and I don't think there was one. I okay. think there was a series of things are starting to feel lighter. And I think, you know, then go, going in and, and getting the help was just, it took a long time for me to adopt, you know, kind of get, get with the, the program. But what was amazing was like the peer support there mm. with others who were going through such incredible journeys of their, their own. You know, I was the only one in the first few months with, with anorexia and there was other people with completely different disorders and seeing their journey and the support actually between the others who were going through such massive challenges um, was huge. And it was, you know, obviously there was kind of the good cops and the bad cops and there was some like really kind of hardline people who were just not budging and ultimately if you don't 
you know get with the program you mm. you you're you're left behind you know that must have been scary it was but it was exactly what i needed okay it, it was exactly what i needed because i was so determined that mm. i needed to meet kind of fire with fire i felt um again some people that's that's not the that's not the line of recovery but for me it was and yeah I, for your personality type yeah and i remember even uh, a trip to the cinema that i had with my parents it was like a big deal things were going better and you know i gained a little bit of weight i was feeling a little bit healthier my brain chemistry started to actually enjoy things and mm. you know it, it was a very like it wasn't a, a normal it wasn't a normal unit you know there was no nurses and doctors outfits like or the not the outfits what do you call it uniforms there were yeah. no uniforms we had our own bedding we had our own beds there were no hospital beds it was like a big apartment um okay and it was just to keep things as normal as possible and on a thursday night we'd be allowed to go out and we'd go to the like there was quorum's fields behind great ormond street for anyone who knows it it's like a little petting zoo and there was like little sheep and little things and just finding a little bit of joy which w felt so wrong actually at first I was like can't enjoy myself you know that it was just like learning to actually take a little bit of pleasure in life and be able to just be a kid yeah. um that helped me it inspired me to get my life back really is like those little memories of you know even I became obsessed with the movie Napoleon Dynamite I don't know if you've oh, ever seen class. it it's class best that dance scene in the movie ever <laughs> yeah it's unbelievable I know the whole dance <laughs> I have the vote for Pedro top I have ah. the, the moon boots I was obsessed <laughs> I used to for, like when I went back to school I used to wear the vote for Pedro top <laughs> under my uniform every day like I was obsessed with it and, and do you eat tater tots oh, of course <laughs> Tina you fat lord like I was obsessed it was so, so good. funny so good so I um and I suppose because you were like for years you were punishing yourself constantly so enjoying something feeling pleasure did that was that just a bit mad yeah but in a good way yeah but I know you were saying you were driving I suppose a, a sort a certain type of warped pleasure from from the you know w what you were putting yourself through I suppose yeah. but enjoying something in the real sense of the word I said well, what does real mean but you know in the pure sense of the word you were having a pleasurable experience that wasn't your your mind playing tricks on you mm. was was that different it was and I think that like I had a newfound appreciation for things to be honest and I remember like the joy I felt even like the day I was I was you know we had this like leaving drinks was like a thing when people were it was a party basically with the, all of the medical staff who were looking after you and your parents and all of the other patients on the 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 unit and it was kind of it was almost to inspire others to yeah, reach nice. that stage it was they really did ceremony really well and like or, or, like they had the, this handprint tree where mm. you could paint your hand and put your put your hand on and I went back and visited it a few months ago and just how like, was that it was amazing it was like so emotionally draining and it was like up and down up and down and I remember meeting there was this one woman in particular she was a, like a care worker there Sheen just this incredible mammy like who even when the going got really tough when I turned on everyone else it was Sheen was there for a big cuddle and a kiss and just sometimes that's all you needed yeah. um, she is just such an incredible person I can't even begin um, to, to describe um, but yeah seeing her again and being brought back to that place because I think I had done a good job at you know co compartmentalizing it and mm. having spoken about it so much over the years now um, 
but actually experiencing it again. Yeah. I could feel it from you. I could see yeah. it from you, the emotion. Yeah. 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 Just being brought like, back to that. Um, yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. And I spoke to the patients on that, that are there now. Yeah. Um, I spoke to the girls that were there. Um, oh, wow. Four of them. And I just, I was brought right back to just first of all how like incredibly articulate and intelligent they are and they're all you know 12 13 14 but they're just so like they're doing so much work at articulating their feelings and trying to tell you exactly how they feel that when you ask them it was just like the most incredible conversation i spoke a little bit about my journey i gave like i asked them about theirs and how open they were and also at one stage this is the part that just resonated with me so deeply is that, you know, one of them started to quite like to panic halfway through. I think it was getting close to mealtime or something was triggering her. Okay. And like the emotion, like was just screaming, crying and letting it out. And, and the others didn't even flinch. You know, you were, you just became so used to people fully expressing themselves, okay, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think it's so funny in this like wellness world we live in now, we're all like express yourself and let it go and whatever. But like that is the the highest form of just like somebody screaming kicking like crying and the conversation just continues like the ball is still kicked around between the three of us who are yeah nobody's trying to fix it they're letting that person be exactly exactly. and that's just holding space for people that's powerful isn't it that's what it is and i feel like so much of today's problems and maybe this is wrong to say but i feel like so much today's problems comes from us repressing and trying to be okay all the time absolutely agree with you yeah yeah i just think totally if we can just go today shite and just let it all out and just let and then it's gone and it's not about the day being ruined or the week being ruined or any of that it's the moment and let it go you know the moment is is really tricky how are we going to navigate it? Cool. Let it out. Jump, scream, kick around, you know, and that's what I'm trying to do now with this movement meditation and the mindful boxing is just like, oh, my God, you're feeling angry. Cool. Brilliant. Channel that. Let's go. Let let it go, you know, and and just, you know, finding your peace then afterwards. And that was amazing to watch and to kind of validate that feeling that I had and that everybody has, I think, you know, is that we're repressing and we're holding on to so much. Let it out and don't judge anyone else for, you know, letting out their letting their feelings hang out because that's the problem is that we don't you know and with you completely yeah when you were um getting all the help and you're now in a state of recovery was delving into your aunt who passed away was that the key to your recovery i don't think so okay no i don't think it was i i think that was was just what brought it about yeah yeah and and i think even to this day i say about my aunt and the grief and all of that it's almost like an easy way to introduce it but if I'm if I'm like to be honest I think it was in a multitude of things like I was just I do believe I was born with a a want to like an overdeveloped sense of drive and focus and and as you said perfection exactly and that doesn't change even when I you know come to terms with grief and when I come to terms with you know loss and all the rest of it I think that that's just in me um and did you feel pressure and this might sound like a strange question to ask but clearly anyone who's come across you and I know it's something that you have to kind of you're probably eye roll I have to deal with this all the time because I'm a boxer and then people certain people will comment on how I look so how you look is that you are blessed with very good looks you're very good looking thank you um and I suppose, look, that's just fact. And, you know, also beauty is in the eye of the beholder. We all know that. But mm. I suppose aesthetically, if you were to kind of analyze what makes a person, you know, aesthetically beautiful, you're kind of taking all boxes. Was that an extra pressure? Because you're blessed with good looks anyway. Did that make you feel like, well, then I have to 
I have to continue along this line. Was that a part of it? Did that play a part? In I, I, I'm not so sure that was important. Uh, that was something I had an awareness of when I was a kid, to be honest. Were you, were, did people, I, I suppose I'm trying to wonder, like, was it commented on? Because I find that, and I know now that a lot of people in the advice is, you know, when you when you meet someone, particularly young girls, rather than comment on, oh, you're gorgeous and you look lovely in the dress, yeah. compliment their their talents. Yeah. You know, you're really good at camogie. Are you really good? God, your art is fantastic. Yes. You know, find what they're actually good at, compliment that, rather than what they look like, what their physical appearance is. Yeah, um, definitely. And I suppose I'm just wondering, growing up, because I would imagine if you're a very attractive 25 year old, you were clearly a very attractive child. Was that commented on and on some level, was that feeding into it? I think so, definitely. And, and you know, when I like I remember cutting out pictures of Kate Moss and cutting out pictures of like I, I was more a little bit more obsessed with the bones and the real gaunt look okay. rather than. But I, I guess in my in my own way, I, I that was how I perceived beauty you know yeah um and it's also how we were marketed beauty at oh that absolutely time. yeah the Al mcpherson's and the the kate moss who all look incredible but they're yeah it was just an unhealthy the age of depiction. the supermodel yeah yeah I, I was very aware of beauty standards and i was very aware of that it didn't become important it, i kind of lost importance when i was really in the anorexia nothing else mattered other than the thinness and the you know my hair was literally falling out i had hair developed all over my body is downy hair to keep me warm like in terms of beauty like that went out the window like I had literally my hair was falling out it hurt to smile my skin would like I had to stretch my skin over my my teeth to smile like when I look at myself I'm just a little skeleton you know um so beauty standards yeah. wasn't the issue at that point but I think as I get older that's something I battle with every day you know yeah. and um yeah I think we all do I think we all do honestly Mm. Uh, especially the age of Instagram and, you know, filters and, you know, n- unrealistic body types and everything is kind of, there's a, a p- certain type of look and it might be becoming more diverse, but it is still unattainable for most people, you know, yeah. whatever's represented. Um, so, And that's why you're so refreshing to follow on social media, because you often put up uh, once again air quotes unflattering yeah. <laughs> yeah, <true>. poses of <laughs> yours um, that I just go, love this love That's what fair. she's about it's yeah. brilliant because you're just going you're kind of putting your two fingers up to the whole bloody lot of it and, I, and I, I, I'm I'm very passionate about filters myself and um, you know I just I, I yeah and I certainly don't judge anyone for using them because I was that soldier yeah, myself. Yeah, same. But I, I also had to say no, no more to this because also I don't want people to meet me in reality and go, geez, you look completely I different that to that person online, that. you know. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, know. so, you know, you've recovered and you are now a teenager and let's fast forward to a charity event. Oh, yeah. Yeah, do you yeah, decide because yeah. we haven't even started talking about the, I suppose what people would almost think is the main thing Mary Kay Slattery boxer so yeah. so now we're going to start talking about it so you decided to give this thing a go and again back to the perfectionist you weren't going to just do it half-heartedly That's you it. threw yourself into it and you trained like a mad thing for a few weeks beforehand yeah 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 and even when it's so funny like I I met these two lads Paddy and Sean Heaton they have Heaton Boxing Academy up in Sandyford they're just legends they're such nice guys but they were the ones who over a pint after I went I went away with my school to Lords to do some volunteering of all places to like decide we're going to 
start boxing was in Lourdes <laughs> um, over a pint after like a, a day of just madness and they were like look would you ever think about doing a charity fight night and I was like I don't know I, I've never thrown a punch I don't think I'd be any use like and what age are you at this stage um 18 yeah, yeah okay, it was my first right. year in Trinity oh. um and I, I knew the guys from from there and they were saying to me like look will you try it and I was like yeah go on maybe it was 17 it could have been 17 no I was 18 18 definitely and um they were like let's let's put something on and I was like look I'll do it on the condition that the charity that we do it for is for Crumlin Children's Hospital yeah you know I I still had so much respect and love for that place and you know even though I didn't recover there it was in like just I I think of it so fondly and the people there and, and the experience and um so I wanted to do that and we ended up just doing this training I was trying to get as many people on board as I could and I think we ended up getting 30 people so it was 15 fights um, and I ended up fighting twice that night and just falling in love with the sport like I, I think for the first time when I talk about this kind of drive and this perfectionist it was like right I can actually you know channel all of this energy that I have extra energy and just go I'm going to put all of that that motivation into becoming faster becoming fitter becoming sharper becoming stronger and it was like that became an obsession you know very quickly and at first it was kind of you know just I I met my now teammate Tony Brown and he brought me down to O'Rourke's gym or St. Michael's it was then when it was all amateur and I met my now coach Stephen O'Rourke and Stephen was like, you know, all right, kid, like, I'll take you on. And he's typical old school mank. Like, he's just, everything is done. He's he's just so um, no bullshit. Just exactly what you would imagine a boxer, like a real boxer to be like, you know, kind of. Okay. He was like, look, I've never taken a girl on, but if you work hard and we give you a fight in three months, you know, and work hard means you're here twice a day. Like, that's that's the way it is. And so I was just like, grand, I'll be there. I'll be there. And okay. like, that's when my you know that mind that had taken me down such a destructive place yes, and yeah and even in school I struggled with it and and the pressure of the leaving certain all of that I I went this is where I'm gonna just be the best now and I think like from that day he was like this is I don't know what I'm after taking on but <laughs> I was I was there you know and I was obsessed do you from, know I can't I, I'm sure this has been said to you before but I can't help but think like you know Hillary Swank and, I know and Clint Eastwood million dollar, it's total million dollar baby exactly. stuff isn't it and I had never seen the movie and they kept calling me million dollar baby I was just like okay <laughs> I was like what the hell are they talking about it was so weird and and then I watched it and I was like okay I get it now but it's, it's so funny um, so and, I, and the thing is it's not just that okay I'm going to I'm going to train and do this thing but you're also then actually she's really good yeah, well, it was your first fight. Yeah, resulted my, in Irish title. There you so go. They just went, okay, you're going to fight someone, and you're going to just go in. And because at that point as well, like my weight class, there wasn't very many girls at it, and it's changing now. Obviously, um, they introduced it as an Olympic weight, and it's it's like there's low, it's flooded now. Like, but at that time, it was just like, okay, get in there and and have the fight. And I didn't have a clue what was about to come at me. This girl from Baldoyle Boxing Club, she was brilliant. Like she was so much more skilled. She was so much more conditioned. Like I saw her arms and I was like, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. Why didn't I pick dancing or something? I was like, what am I at? But I, I just, we got in the ring and I just did not stop. It was one of those, like I look back at this because that was the Snapchat days and like all the memories of me just head down, hands just like a 
combine harvester just coming at her <laughs> and just like you would need a hammer to kill me like I was yeah. not stopping and I remember like my mum being like oh Jesus would you just do the training why are you fighting for like why are you fighting Jesus I mean, and we spent so much money on your braces and all like, and she was just like why would you do it and I was like no I, I want to do this I want to do this and like begrudgingly kind of came along to it with my dad and all my friends from school and their parents and it was so funny like and she became the loudest person in the stadium just like come ah, on like proper cork woman just bloodthirsty she was like go for it go for <laughs> it you know and I remember my coach I could tune into my coach like giving me feedback and I was kind of waiting for like what do, what do I do what like in between rounds like give me something give me something and he was just like kid just keep doing whatever you're doing he was like yeah. you're not boxing you're fighting you know I wasn't boxing at all it was just hands down flurry 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 and did not stop and it was that that was the first time that I'd gone wow that part of my brain that goes do not stop be the best do you cannot lose here gave me something amazing that I was so proud of and that like it was that transformation in me then that I could recognize I don't know if I recognized it in the moment but it was afterwards that I went Jesus I actually applied myself and who I am and that part of my brain that just says do it and don't stop and it gave me something great and that's it I suppose at the end of the day at that point you had already had the fight of your life yeah true you would already overcome something that potentially was going to take your life yeah so you were you had you had oceans of strength to draw on and to pull up and to channel when you were in the boxing ring true and that's what I say to people who've been through that and a yeah. journey similar and who've come out the other it's side of addictions it's a classic what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger yeah exactly it's that cliche but it's it's that quiet confidence that does yeah. not leave you like yeah no matter what it is horrible breakups um, the messy stuff of life yeah. I'm just kind of in my mind I'm like okay but it's never going to compare like and touch touch wood I never have anything that comes close to that but you know the stuff that would normally trigger I think uh, real hardship I just kind of go right we just, we'll just deal with this and it'll be okay you know um, which is is always something I say to somebody who's going through it like if you're listening yeah, now and yeah, you're yeah. really in the pits like just know that when you come out the other side, which you will, yes. when you do, that confidence won't leave you. Like oh, you're stronger, so you are bulletproof. You know, like yeah, and and it's great. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, that's that's what life is as well. Like being able to draw the strength from the shit, really. Mm, you know. Mm. Um. Anyway, I sound like I'm a prophet now. I'm like, no, I, I don't hey. want to pontificate. Like, for fact's sake, there's no, there's enough unsolicited advice out there. No, but I think well, if it is the Church of Mary Kate Saddery, I am with you. <laughs> I am with you. I'm loving this. You're I'm all mom. about this. I, seriously, yeah. And I love the fact that she was... And, yeah. and you know what? It must have been fantastic for her, you know, seeing her daughter kick ass. would be amazing. So at this age, you're 17, 18. How did it make you feel as a woman taking on... Now, I know at the end of the day, you had Katie Taylor in the background yeah, at this stage. Absolutely. As, you know, it's safe to say, not just our greatest sports person but one of the worlds she's uh, yeah. she's in a league of her own she's phenomenal uh, so you had that to kind of draw on definitely um, yeah. but as a, as a woman boxing something you'd never done maybe you'd never thought of until the charity event how does it make you feel? to be honest it made me feel or how does it make you feel? It, yeah it still does it makes me feel this confidence um, and also like a strange kind of sexiness as well to it as well that it's just like it's just this confidence that comes from a place of don't bother messing you know like it's just it takes all the bullshit out of I think interaction especially with like guys and that it's just like oh, you know I think there's a real a great a great 
confidence, I guess, you know, that comes from it. And, I, and it's I, femininity in its it most is. powerful form. This is the thing. This is the thing. And I, I, for so long, I felt like I had to become masculine and kind of, especially being in the gym as the only woman, like I was kind of just dumbing down things and, you know, making sure that I was dressed a certain way and, you know, and going into boxing clubs, intimidating kind of um, environments. But just now I just go, there's nothing stronger than a woman. There's nothing stronger mm-hmm. than the feminine energy, like yeah. nothing. I mean, it makes, it breaks, it creates, like there's nothing stronger than that. So yeah. when, you know, when I really think about what make what makes me an excellent fighter is that feminine energy, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that just goes, this is my territory. I'm, I'm not budging and I'm going to protect, you know, and just that kind of mentality that we all have as women. And that's what I want to bring to the the mindful boxing and the movement meditations that I teach now. I like to bring women together. We can share what, what's what's going on, set the intention. Why are you angry? What's making you feel the rage? Why don't you let yourself feel the rage? Give yourself the permission to feel that. Mm. Let's channel it, get the boxing bag and let's go hell for leather, you know, and just yeah. showing actually how to use the technique, how to throw punches, how to do it and just going, give yourself the permission now to be a wild woman for the next 45 minutes and let it all out, you know? And I think there's nothing more, there's no more strength than that, yeah. in my opinion. See, you're talking to somebody who gets it, right? I, I'm with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. I know what you're saying, but I think people listening might be going, wait a second, I thought femininity was about being gentle and, yeah. you know, it's like feminine, you know, when you look at masculine energy, we've been bombarded with this idea that it's the, the masculine energy is the power and the feminine energy is the gentleness. Yeah. And while gentleness is important, it's it's the balance. When you really learn about feminine energy and the balance of the two, as you said, you know, there's so much more power yeah. behind that energy yeah. than people probably realize yeah. and has been taken from us. And it's, you know, the patriarchy does quite a job on doing that. But <laughs> it's time for us to reclaim that and what it actually means to be a woman. Definitely. Definitely. And I think, you know, my, my I think it's such an exciting time now when we talk about gender and that I feel like my mind is changing and my mind is opening to all of these new concepts and how we've just labeled this is femininity and this is masculinity. Mm. So you always say that with that, that caveat is like we just label things and we've decided that that this is what it is. But I think anyone who has ha, has been oppressed will have this unbelievable strength to give as a result, you know, like anyone who's been marginalized, anyone who's been oppressed in any way, I think there is a strength there and that there's a reason why we were, you know, oppressed and marginalized in the first place, you know, and, or why other, other groups have been. And I think that that's about, it's about reclaiming, like you said, about bringing the strength and, you know, like I, I say women's circle, but I, I really include those who identify as women and those who choose to like, you know, like don't subscribe to the gender binary or and and, you know and that's I think there's so much it's such an exciting time and I feel like I'm constantly going I'm wrong for thinking that I'm right like it's about like just kind of expanding our our understandings of what gender is in the first place but I do think there's a strength in women that I'm talking about it that's separate to that that's just it's like a um, maternal it's like the sea you know yeah. it's that you know it's just a nature that we have that we can just bring and and f- fight with you know yeah. or protect with or whatever we decide to you know whatever our our you know we want to tune into like whether it's be a mother or whether it's you know create something or you know just know that there is like a divinity in women I yes, feel yeah 
Um, and I probably sound bonkers to the majority of people. You don't sound listening. bonkers to me. Yeah. I'm with you. And I suppose that's the thing as well. It, it, you know, it's recognizing that within all of us, regardless of gender, sexuality, that we are not all one thing. We're not all exactly. feminine energy or masculine. We're a combination. It's about making friends with both aspects of ourselves and fully understanding what that is. It's the yin and the yang, isn't yeah. it? So you were bitten by the bug and yeah. that was it. Okay, <laughs> this is it. Now I have found my thing. I know that we probably have many things, but this is a thing that I know I love. Yeah. love how it makes me feel and I'm good at it. Now, you've mentioned a number of times and clearly by the way you speak, you have done a lot of, I suppose, spiritual work, really. Um, I know you've been on lots of different retreats. You've tried a lot of different things. You are a fan of meditation and this movement um, meditation is fascinating. So how do they feel at the end of, of, a, of a class or a session with you? I, I think, you know, I, I, I like there's always a load of laughter and that's what I wanted to achieve was just have the crack because I, I believe that the most spiritual thing anyone can do is just laugh. Yeah. And and like in, in that is like my understanding of meditation is being okay with what is, mm. you know, being okay with how you are right now. And if you're laughing at something, really laughing, you can't help but be okay with what is, do you know? It's yeah, just, yeah. it's like, so I, I just wanted to make it the most crack I could um, and take all of the obsession that we have in, in gyms and in fitness classes with technique, that goes out the window. It's just, it's just about like really just feeling what you're doing and setting an intention like I, I kind of made a, an, a, I set an intention myself to set more intentions in my life, you know, and to do everything with more intention. And I think that brings me closer to pre the present than any other thing that, yeah. that I tried to do. Like I tried the Vipassana, I tried the, you know, breathe, you explain that for listeners? And, and they're hearing yeah. about that. What did she just said? What is that? Vipassana is like, it's a 10 day Buddhist retreat and it it's kind of, it's, it's, it started by a, a man from Burma, I believe, Asengoenka. He he started it, and it is about a vipassana is to see things as it is, mm. and it's about like breathing and sitting and and just. It was way too extreme for me. I think I d I did it way too young and naively, and I think what age are you? Um, twenty two when I did it. Amazing. I haven't done it. Yeah. But so but I I, so I admire you massively. Thank you. Um, because it's not for the faint hearted. No, it's not. Um, it's not at all, and I. I um yeah I I don't I don't think I'd be able to do another one now to be honest was I think it, it was silent it was silent yeah yeah <laughs> for how many days oh well I actually only lasted eight so I only <laughs> lasted eight full eight days, days of pure silence I was like get me a taxi lads I'm out <laughs> I can't do it I woke up one night and I had such a nice like it, it, again you're looking at your feet the whole time and I had I had this um woman in the room with me uh what was her name. Philippine, I think she's from France, and um, again, no, no speaking. But I woke yeah. up. I think it was my body just being like, "Say something!" Like I woke up singing Robbie Williams' "Feel" in the middle of the night, <laughs> and her being like, "What is going on?" Do you know, and like we, you only get like six hours sleep or something. So like, sleep is precious, and I'm there. I just wanna feel like, and she's like, "What is happening?" Like, and we hadn't even made eye contact at this stage. Do you know, it's so funny. And then I laughed for a solid half hour because I was like, "God, it feels so good to laugh." 
But I, I think <laughs> I was just, it was like my body's response to being yeah. told to be quiet for so long. I, I just went like, no, I'm going to take the opportunity or maybe now you to had, sing a song. Yeah, exactly. And maybe it was your, your body, <laughs> mind and soul just basically saying, you've, you've come to where you needed to be. Yeah, Now maybe. this is your release. Yeah. Now it's time to go. Or maybe it was just me losing my mind <laughs> on day six going like, this is too much. So it, I think... Um, Probably that was the extremist in me going, oh, I'll be able for 10 days. No bother. Send me to Morocco, like grand, you know, fuck's sake. I, I think that was that was one of those, probably a blind spot of mine to go, let's just go right into it. And that's something I have to be mindful of in everything that I do. Like okay. when I talk about- Because like, you're all or nothing. All or nothing. Yeah. And it catches me. And all I right. think I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. But it's really just- it's just me going, yeah. I'm going to be the best at this. Yeah. Oh, meditation? Send me to the hardest one. <laughs> Let me become a monk. Do you know, it's just so ridiculous because, I mean, it, it wasn't like it was It was helpful. I learned techniques. I learned that. But I don't think I was actually meditating. I think the whole time I was just like, get me out of here. Jesus Christ. I was like, how much longer? And they're, they're all, you know, o- older people who had a wisdom and a calmness about them. And I was just dying to get out of there. Now, parts of it were brilliant. And I did feel I had a bit of a breakthrough on day three, four where I, I was observing all of the insecurities in myself yeah. going so much insecurity and so much baggage and because your brain I felt because I was silent it was like it, things felt a lot deeper for me like visually I felt like I had like actual baggage of insecurities on my back and I was like physically in the room just like pretending to take a bag off oh, like wow, and, yeah, you know yeah, I think yeah. again you're just I'm not sure visual, what, visual so that worked for yeah. you I'm not sure whether it was intense boredom or whether it was actually a breakthrough I I think it, it was might have been a breakthrough of sorts for some people sitting down and meditating sometimes that's not going to work for everyone and exactly. I think there's there's like a I don't know like a kind of I thought that was the only way that was my naivety it was like that's the only way but sometimes I watch my dad walk the dog yeah and like the way he just like will like just slowly move and like just that's meditation do you know yeah. mindful like, walking mindful walking even go out and look at the sea and or yeah. like what I said about like look, looking at the stars and just a reminder of like you're only here for a little while what's you're, your quote again yeah oh, we're all just a grain of shite okay so, <laughs> so, so that's it like have a tattooed <laughs> no I don't <laughs> but not yet l- not yet um but that that's meditation do you know like just being all right with what's happening now yeah and I, and I think there is such a oh you have to have the technique and you have to the, all the focus and I just take take all of that out like yeah. some people meditating might be literally just having a glass of water and just being present with it on yeah totally yeah how does your spiritual practice enrich your boxing um that's a hard question I think or does it I'm not sure I'm not sure it does. I think for a while, I guess the intention setting is important, you know, um, and I do it now. And before. is this I'm going to win? Yeah, like more so just just what am I letting go of today when I'm physically moving? Because I find that. OK, wow. Um, I find that like I I am so quick. I think it's the, it's the kind of the knife edge of it's the opposite side of being able to be very aware of your thoughts is sometimes that I I create a narrative that maybe doesn't need to be there of like, okay, well, this happened to me then and that and that this could be what the trigger is today. And I go too deep into things sometimes. So that's that like what I found in like managing anxiety and managing like panic and, and stuff like that, that I've experienced over the years, just move your body and stop the chatter for a second, you know? Yeah. And I think like boxing has been therapeutic for me in that way because 
rather than going, oh, and that was really difficult for me and I'm, I'm processing that now and, oh, that was a trigger. So maybe that's why I feel a little bit less likely, you know, or less open today or whatever, you know, whatever sort of narrative you're trying to tell yourself, it's like, actually, just have your breakfast and go out and sweat for a bit and see how you feel then, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it's, and, and, and that sounds very reductive and it's not for everyone, but for me, I know that I can become like very locked in trying to analyze my thoughts. Um, yeah. And that's after years of doing it and having to do it in order to recover. I, I still find like something might have happened in work and then I'm like, God, oh, that's playing on my mind and I'm processing that. And that's been quite, I'm experiencing grief. It's like, actually, no, you're, you're, you just need to sweat. Like you've just been sitting down for too long and you're yeah, hungry, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it, I, I think that for me has been really helpful and just setting an intention just before I work out, what am I letting go of? Right, that was pretty hard, cool. So try and visualize letting go of the blocks that that's, you know, that's inside you now you know that's kind of and that's your life's practice now letting go surrendering yeah i think so and just getting okay getting closer to being okay with, with the bumps in the road and yeah. the imperfections yeah um you're 25 as we've mentioned and you don't really i, I believe reach your peak in terms of boxing till you're in your 30s mm, yeah definitely so you have a lot of time left yeah thankfully <laughs> yeah 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 um and going pro is something that you're considering yeah down the line definitely down the line I would love to it was it's always been a dream and it was always kind of the dream for me when I started amateur boxing um I just know that my fitness works better over I'm more of an endurance athlete I always have been you know like I just prefer like long distance running I prefer marathon running to like I wouldn't go out and do a 10k but I'd happily train for a marathon and All right, you know, well, yeah. that I just have I just prefer that type of fitness which you know amateur boxing as you know is three three minute rounds and it's very much point scoring and you're yeah. kind of tagging your opponent intense where yeah it's it's intense and it's cruel it's such a cruel sport and I think in ways a lot harder than pro whereas pro right. is 10 rounds for women yeah. you know and two minute rounds and and you're just you you're kind of you're stalking and your 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 feet are planted and you're selecting your ch- shots a lot more strategically I think so um, that would suit you more it would because it's more uh, you, you kind of come into yourself over the rounds well I find anyway in like sparring and that it's, I just get better as it goes on now I haven't been properly sparring I haven't been disciplined with my my training in a while and I think that was COVID knocked me back a bit um, I thought knocked sure. us all back yeah. but um, I mean it would be a dream to have a couple of pro fights definitely and are you holding back for any particular reason? no I, no I'm not really I think I I'm working and I'm trying to juggle a few things and I yeah, think yeah. writing my thesis last year really Well that's just... it we haven't even spoken about all the stuff that you've done so you said you're a high achiever you did a brilliant leaving cert then you went on to Trinity Yeah um, You're a law graduate from Trinity College and then you went on to do a master's Yeah I got an MPhil in International Peace Studies um, so that's Masters of Philosophy Yes yeah. I'm pretending and, like I yeah. know what it is yeah. Sorry yeah. <laughs> um, It's uh, I did And you just finished that Yeah I just finished it I literally just graduated there well, <laughs> what, two, what can't you do Two months ago I, a Lots <laughs> Like lots I'm, I'm a master of making it look all easy But it's not um, No you're incredibly the, impressive But also wonderfully humble Which is extremely endearing Um so you've all of that stuff going on so what, where do you I need the classic question where do you see yourself in five ten years time but do you have are you someone that plans or not not at all well, okay I mean you're I, all about being in the present moment yeah I mean all we have is now well, <laughs> I don't know about that I think I think I'm just kind of like always trying to juggle lo- loads of different things at okay. once and um, to be honest I I 
am unsure where I'll go next. You know, I really enjoyed working last year in politics. I was working in the Shannad with Frances Black, who's just an incredible woman, like just an incredible woman. I learned so much from her. Um, so I was writing her speeches and doing some of the legislation there. Um, oh, wow. Well done. And just loved her. Um, yeah, she's a gorgeous person. She's amazing and just such a good heart. And yeah. I think there's there's plenty of really great women in, in Irish politics like Lynn Rowan and Alice mm. Higgins and just and Eileen Flynn. Like I just I love the, them all. I just think they're brilliant. But I don't know where I'm going to go, whether it's law or politics or I, you know, I, I do want to focus on bringing more women into the movement meditation and focusing my energy on you know inspiring more yeah and um, if i can where i can um because it's always conversations like these it's always you know going into schools it that's the the stuff that i always feel great after and it fills me and i know that you know i mightn't reach you know half the room but half of them are listening and somebody in there is being spoken to the way that they need to and yeah, yeah. um that's what I want to do more of. That's what I absolutely adore. And yeah, I'd love to do more of. You're an amazing person. I will be uh, very proudly saying I met her. I spoke to her and I'll be continuing to follow your uh, your journey and whatever you do. Thank you for taking time to be here today. I Thank really, so really much. appreciate it. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I obviously did. And if you did, please share it with your friends or family or pop it up on social media. Or, of course, you can support the pod in all the usual ways by clicking follow, leaving a rating or a little comment as well. Thank you so much for listening to Ready To Be Real. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.